As we begin, I would like to read the scripture that we're going to be looking at in a few minutes just so it can begin to permeate our hearts and our minds. Reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to be healed. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. That is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever, and nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that his people will fear him. Let us pray. Father God, as we come to you on this, this first day of 2017, and we are so mindful of time. We are so mindful of the time that has passed and that which is coming up this new year. We stand at the precipice of new beginnings and, and new adventures and new journeys. Lord, as we enter in this time together, I ask that you would soften our hearts and our minds, that we would hear what we need to hear from you this morning. May the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. How do you define a moment? More importantly, how do you define a significant moment? How do you decide what is important? What marks your life? Those moments that you will carry with you forever and that you will remember. This week, I reached out on Facebook just to see what some of the people in my online community will remember as their moments from 2016. And a number of you are friends with me on Facebook, and you responded, and thank you. If you're not, please find me. Enter in next time. And in this list, I, there are some great stories, and there are some heartbreaking stories, but I want to give you a synopsis of some of the things that happened in 2016. There were births and deaths. There were announcements of pregnancies and excitement of all that would come. And there was the heartbreak of miscarriage. There were new relationships, new marriages, new engagements, and there were the end of marriages and significant relationships. There were some who found the, a new found sense of strength in self in the midst of the struggles they encountered. There was the election day results, and depending on where you sit, depending on whether that was a good moment or not so good a moment. There were injuries and illnesses and conversations with doctors that we hoped we'd never have to hear. There were finally getting answers to health problems that have been plaguing people for years. For some people, there was moments of extreme clarity in where God was calling them. 
There are moments with friends and family that cannot be given up for anything because they're just so important. For the athletes in the room, there were moments of great athletic achievement and strength goals and personal records, and there were moments of athletic disappointments. This was the year of the storm that did not turn. And I know many of you probably have significant moments from Hurricane Matthew. Ours included a 30-foot skylight in our garage that was not previously there, which is thankfully now gone. And it was a year that saw business opportunities pop up, some of which ended in frustration and disappointment, and others flourished in ways that we cannot understand, and the people are still scratching their heads over, but so thankful for. 2016 has been a year for the history books. For some of us, it's been a great year, and for some of us, it's been challenging. To get further clarity on what 2016 looked like, I asked another question. I said, if you were to pick one word to define your 2016, what would it be? And then the graphic that's going to pop up here in a second, these were the moments, these were the words that I got. Emotional by far was the number one word for a lot of people this year. Transitional, tough, eye-opening, growing, blessed, God-filled, grounded, wake-up call, alone. There were a lot of years that were, or words that were used to describe our 2016. It was a significant year. How do you define your moments that are significant? How do you use words to describe what you've just been through? I then asked one third question, and this question was, if you could pick a word that you hope will define your 2017, what would it be? And these were the words that popped up. Peace and kindness and serve were the top three words for 2017. Wisdom, retired, um, fast, surprising, optimistic, gaining emotional maturity, clear, revolutionary, perspective, cherished, journey. There's something about a new year that brings hope. Whether you've just been through one of the most challenging years of your life or whether you've just been through one of the best years of your life, we look forward to the new year with a sense of expectancy. There's something ingrained in the human spirit that is always looking for more, for better. There's something God-given, I believe, that beckons to us, especially at the beginning of a new year. We want to see purpose. We want to see significance in the year to come. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon towards the end of his life. If you don't know King Solomon's story, he was the son of King David. He had everything. He was a man who was known for as the, the, having the most wisdom, and people would travel for months to get to him and talk to him and seek his counsel. He had more money than you can imagine. He had immense palaces. He had more wives and more concubines than some small countries. This was a man who had everything. And at the end of his life, he sat down and he wrote Ecclesiastes. And the first few words coming out of off his pen were this. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. 
Everything is meaningless. Well, isn't that just a picker-upper? Yay! He was, he's expressing something that all of us look for. We want to know the purpose behind what we do. And even though Ecclesiastes, when you read it, sometimes can feel like a little bit of a pessimistic book, what he's doing is he's searching for clarity. When you get down to the bottom of things, when we get down to the bottom of our lives, the bottom of time, the bottom of our moments, what is the purpose behind it all? And I think he gets to at least part of his answer in chapter 3, the verses that we read earlier. And when he said, when we asked the question, how do you define a moment? How do you define significant moments? The answer we find in Ecclesiastes is that God has made everything beautiful in its time. God has made every moment beautiful in its time. Let's look at the text. Verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Now, the under the heavens part, that's just talking about the breadth of human experience, everything that we experience on this earth. But if you're anything like me, I read that first sentence, there is a time for everything, and there's part of me that revolts against that sentence. I just have to look at my planner and my to-do list and the things that are coming up and the, my, my, my stack of papers that I need to go through, and I know there's not time for everything. I'm always chase, we're always chasing time or making up time or trying to save time so we can invest time later, but we realize that as much as we think we're saving time, once a minute is gone, it's gone. We can't save it. It just keeps moving forward, and we're doing our best to keep up. So often we feel like we're caught in the middle of a whirlwind and we're trying to make everything work and and juggle our families and our friends and our work and our time with God and relationships and and fitness and and whatever else is significant in our lives and we're trying to keep all these balls moving and up in the air and then we hear this sentence, there is a time for everything and we say, no, there's not. And am I the only one? Okay, and there's, so we, and we, let's try that again. I think the key word in this sentence is ah. There is not time for everything. There is a time for everything. This was a Hebrew, Greek, Hebrew book, but if we jump over to ancient Greek culture, I think they have something that can help us understand this a bit. The Greeks had two words for time. One was chronos. Chronos is where we get chronology and chronicle and chronic and all those words. There was a Greek god named Chronos, and most of us recognize him as Father Time, and we think about this figure with a long beard and long hair and the hourglass in his hand and maybe a staff, and we think of Father Time like that. But Chronos had a darker side. I tried to find some works of art to show you, but they were all so gruesome, I could not bring myself to start 2017 off by putting them up on the screens. Kronos was a greedy, gluttonous god who was power-hungry and power-mad. He was driven, always striving to get more and more and more. And guess what? If you were his parent and you had power, he ate you. 
Somebody told him, one of the other gods said that his children would have more power than him, and so he ate them. This was not a great god. He kept cannibalizing things because he was never ever satiated. And I think sometimes when we approach our life and our times, we feel a little bit the same way. We're never satiated because there is never enough time for us to get done everything we feel like we have to get done. There's not enough time to invest in our children or or our work or whatever it is that is significant because there just aren't enough moments. And so we're driven and we're going and we keep asking, what time is it? What do I have time for? How much can I get done in this time that I have? We keep looking at the quantity of our time. There's another Greek word for time, and this is kairos. Kairos is a moment that is pregnant with purpose. Kairos is a moment with possibility. And begs to be fulfilled. And so I think what's going on here is we need to break out of the mold of Kronos where we keep asking what time is it and where are we going and start to live in Kairos saying what is time for? How can I invest this time? How can I find God in this moment? How can I define this moment so that it transcends what I can see. Ecclesiastes goes on, and he starts talking about the parameters of human life. He says there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What Solomon is doing here is not setting up ideals or telling us everything we should be doing, but rather he is looking at the breadth of human life. There is a birth and a death for each one of us. We exist in the sphere of love or hate or somewhere in between. Our country is either at peace or at war. We are either healing or breaking. Sorrow and joy, destruction and life go hand in hand the reality of the life that we live in. We can't escape it. We'd love to live in the column of of love and peace and healing and mending and building and joy and laughter and, and dancing. We'd love to live there. But the other stuff exists too. And as Solomon surveys all of this, he asks a question that I think each one of us asks, sometimes on a daily or a moment-by-moment basis. What do the workers gain for their toil? What's the point? What is the point of all of that? Why am I here? What am I doing? Is there more to this life than what I see? Verse 10 
I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. That is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever, and nothing can be added to it, and nothing taken away from it. God does it so people will fear him. There is something beautiful about connecting with God in your moments. Have you ever met someone who was so connected to God, was so intimate in their relationship with Jesus that they carried a sense of contentment with them? It didn't matter what was swirling in their life. They were content because they knew that they were where God had called them and for what purpose God had called them in that moment. They may not have everything down the road worked out, but right here, right now, they know that they are where God has called them. And in the same way, God makes everything beautiful in its time does not mean that those nasty parts of life, the war, the sorrow, the pain, the destruction are suddenly good things. But they become beautiful when we figure out what it means to meet God in that moment. To say, God, I know that you have created me for a purpose. The burden that he has created in our lives is to break out of chronos and stop and say, God, you've created me for a purpose, you have created this day for a purpose, and I'm in this moment. What is your purpose in this moment? Help me find it so I can follow. That is where the beauty comes. I've been reading um, this book. It's by Mark Buchanan, and it's called The Rest of God, and I think he has some poignant words to share on this. He writes, this year, this day, this hour, this moment, each is ripe for something. Play, work, sleep, love, worship, listening. Each moment enfolds transcendence, lays hold of significance beyond itself. Ecclesiastes sums it up this way. I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, that they ca- yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Kronos betrays us, always. It devours the beauty it creates. But sometimes Kronos betrays itself. It stirs in us a longing for something else, something that the beauty of things in time evokes but cannot satisfy. Either we end up with this man in Ecclesiastes did, driven, 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 racing hard against Kronos, desperate to seize beauty, but always grasping smoke, ashes, and thorns, seeking purpose and finding none, only emptiness. Or we learn to follow the scent of eternity in our hearts. We begin to orient toward Kairos. We start to sanctify some of our time. And then an odd thing can happen. Purpose, even unsought, can take shape out of the smallest, simplest things. I know that there is nothing better for men to be happy and do good while they live. 
that everyone may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in all, their to- all his toils. That is the gift of God. This is a gift of God. To experience the sacred amidst the commonplace, to taste heaven in our daily bread, a new heaven and new earth and a mouthful of wine, joy in the ache of our muscles and the sweat of our brows. How do you define a moment? How do you define a significant moment? God makes our moments beautiful. But I know some of you are sitting there saying, and because I say the same thing, but not every moment is beautiful. Some moments are really hard and painful. A good friend of mine this year was sitting in her apartment waiting for a phone call from a friend of hers. And it didn't come, and it didn't come, and she finally realized that he had been a victim of a shooting at a school in Canada. I saw two of my friends go through the end of their marriages this year. Every day we are plagued by stories on the news of what's happening in our own community and around the world of things that are absolutely atrocious, the worst of humanity thrown at each other. And so when we hear that God makes everything beautiful, there's part of us that revolts because that is not beautiful. There is nothing in that that is beautiful. And I want, I want to make sure that you hear me here. Those things will never be beautiful. Ever. But there is something about what can happen in that moment between us and God that is breathtaking. When the pain of the moment overwhelms you so much that it drives you to your knees and say, God, I can't do this anymore. Everything that I understood is upside down. Everything that I held dear is suddenly gone. What am I supposed to do? Or as we, when we see the stuff that's happening around the world and it drives us to anger, we say, God, it should not be that way. What are you doing there? Why, why is this allowed to happen? And we ask those questions and we come to God in integrity and vulnerability and we live in that moment and we're honest about that moment and we seek God in that moment. We tap into a treasure trove of gifts that we never knew was possible. In that, in that time where we cannot keep it together because someone is driving us insane and we're on the last moment of our sanity, he gives us patience. As we're walking through a world that can only be described as chaotic, he gives us peace. When there's something that he calls us to stand up against, he gives us courage and strength. When we need to speak into a situation, he gives us wisdom. The beauty in those difficult, dark moments happens because we learn how to find God in those moments and be with God in those moments and respond to what he is doing in those moments. It doesn't make the moments good, but it allows beauty to arise from the ashes. And let's face it, there's other moments in our lives that are not bad, but they're not beautiful. They just are. 
If we're honest, as much as we would love to have exciting lives, probably 95% of them are made up by doing laundry, getting groceries, going to and from work, taking the kids to sports, going through whatever it is we have to do at work. They're just mundane, everyday moments that we just go through step by step by step by step. And quite frankly, or quite honestly, if we're honest with each other, we're running through most of them because there's no time for each of them. They're just mundane. They just are. We live in a culture that is affected deeply by the disease of busyness. This doesn't mean we can't have full and, ha- and full and vibrant lives where we're committed to a number of different things. It means that we are so caught up in getting everything done that we are missing the moments around us. We are too busy when we stop caring for the things that we care about. We are too busy when we can't laugh with our children because we have to get our work done. We're too busy when stories of pain in our own community don't drive us to our knees and asking God what we can do in those moments. We are too busy when we stop caring about the things that we care about, when we stop loving the things that God loves, when we stop finding joy in the simplest aspects of life. Time is a gift from God, and it is our choice how we respond to that gift. It is our choice how we choose to define our moments. God says that, his word says that God makes everything beautiful in its time. Even those moments that feel so ugly, God can make those moments beautiful when we find him. The reality is, is that our moments become beautiful when they transcend time. When we can see the deeper purpose in that moment with our kids, when we can see the deeper purpose in that, that time with our friends, when we can see the deeper purpose in as we interact with our client or our customer or whoever it is in front of us, when we find that deeper moment and that deeper purpose to those five minutes by ourselves. Moments become beautiful when they transcend time, when the common touches the sacred. But how do we get there? Sounds wonderful. How do we do it? First, we need to learn how to be still. We need to pause. We need to shut off our devices. We need to close our planners, turn off the TV, close the door, find some time to be quiet and be still. We desperately need that. Scripture is full of verses like, be still and know that I am God, from the book of Psalms. In Isaiah, we read that those who wait on the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will fly on wings with eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will not walk and not grow faint. He doesn't talk about, he's not talking about suddenly being busy. He's talking about finding God's strength to carry us through the storms of life and to be with us in the joys of life. We need to learn to be Mary. If you don't know the story of Mary and Martha, Martha was in the kitchen being busy and, and cooking food and doing really good things. She was doing great things. She was being the perfect host. But in that moment, she needed to be sitting at Jesus' feet, and that's where Mary was. She was sitting at his feet and listening and drinking in that everything that, God, that Jesus had to say. 
We need to find those moments to be still and to listen. And we need to build margins for those, because otherwise they're not going to happen. We're just going to keep running and running and running and running. And I promise you, when you find the time to do that, even if it starts as five minutes or ten minutes in the morning, it will start to change the way your day goes. Everything in your day may stay the same, but it starts to bring a different focus and purpose and grounding to how you go about your day. As we're in those moments, you need, we need to ask ourselves, God, what season am I in? Am I in a season of joy and laughter and dancing? Am I in a season where I can be a lot, get, using those gifts and building into the people around us? Am I in a season where I'm healing? Am I in a season where I'm mourning? What season am I in? And be honest about it. Sometimes we don't want to admit if we're in a season where we need help. We don't want to admit when we're in a season where we're hurting because we don't want people to think we don't have enough faith to get through that. Or we don't want to be a burden on the people around us. But God has created us for community because we need community. We need the people around us. People who will enjoy our joy and will celebrate with us and people who will lift us up when we're hurting and people that we can lift up when they're hurting. We need to be in community. Next week, Faith and Life, women's ministry, um, and life groups are all starting to debut their, their offerings. If you're not in a group, check out what's coming up. There's some exciting things that are coming. Men's ministry is also rebranding and getting some stuff together, and there's some exciting things on the horizon there. So if you're not in a group, those are easy ways to get engaged in a group. We need to be doing life in community. We also need to be asking God, when I'm in this season, what do I need from you? God, I'm broken. I need your healing. God, I have no patience. I need some like 10 minutes ago. If you could hurry up on that, that'd be great. Lord, I'm, God, I'm, I'm excited and I'm celebrating. Help me taste a deeper sense of joy in this moment. And finally, we ask God, what is it that you are calling me to in this season? What do I need to say yes to? Where do I need to invest? Where do I need to engage? And what do I need to say no to? What is too much right now? As we go into 2017, I want to encourage you to step back from chasing Kronos. Step back from striving to t- make time, save time, kill time, waste time, whatever we're doing with time. Step back from that and invest in Kairos. Invest your time. Find the purpose behind the moment. How do you define your moments? How do you define your significant moments? How do they define you? God has made everything beautiful in his time. Even our darkest moments can become beautiful when we learn to allow our common, to allow our moments to transcend time as the common touches the sacred. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you have given us time. You have given us the gift of time. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to to see what we are doing with our time. 
that you would show us where we can connect with you, where we can find your purpose in our moments. God, I ask that you would teach us to be still, to be still and know that you are God. God, that we would learn to rest in you, to hope in you, so that you would renew our strength and we may soar on the wings of eagles, that we may run and not grow weary, that we would walk and not faint. Lord, we give you 2017. God, teach us how to invest our time this year. 